If you would turn in your Bibles with, uh, with me to Hosea chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 2 through chapter 2, verse 1. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, but by horse, or by horses and horsemen. But I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Amai, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. Let us pray. <coughs> Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. She only knew how to do one thing to earn money, the world's oldest profession, the one that involves the desire for another that can parade as love but is really lust. She knew nothing else. And she was able to tell herself that it was an empowering thing to do. He came and rescued her from that. He loved her despite what she had once done. She went back to it. He came and got her. She went back to it. He came and got her. And in the end, she realized that his love was not about what she did, but about who she was to him. And she stopped running. It sounds like a nice Hollywood story, but it is more aligned with this story of prophetic action, moments in scripture when God asks a prophet to speak truth to power in the midst of doing something completely unexpected. Hosea is asked to marry a woman who is, in the words of the Bible, promiscuous. It is meant to be a picture of who we are, of who the Israelites were before we accept the love God has for us and turn our backs on the sin that chains us to our own desires. We live for ourselves. We do what we want to do. And then God says, I love you. You are my beloved. Come away from those chains. Leave that hurt. Surrender that pain. Give it to me. We think we leave it. And then we go back to it because we cannot believe that the God who made us can love us enough to actually forgive our past. We cling to our shame and our guilt as though they were badges of honor, ready to clip our arms back in the shackles that keep us captive to distress and despair. 
We live for ourselves, staying in the mud, the miry clay that God would have us leave. And then God says, I love you. You are my beloved. This is what the Israelites did over and over. This is what every person in the world does over and over. We convince ourselves that we are better off in the mud, that what we do when we live for ourselves makes us free, keeps us uninhibited, turns us loose from some wrath being in the sky who would strike us dead with the slightest misstep. And God says, I am. I love. I love you. You are my beloved. I came for you. I run after you. I will not stop. And we think to ourselves, we don't deserve that kind of love. We, we don't deserve that kind of abundant life that God wants to offer us. We think that following Jesus ties us to rules and don'ts that hold us captive. We think we are missing something others have when we surrender to God. And then God says, you don't deserve it. No one does, but I offer it anyway. It's called grace. It's called love. It is what I have for you. Boundless love. You are my beloved. When the day comes, when we finally relinquish our chains and follow Jesus, we find that the freedom we thought we had was simply slavery to desires we had no control over. And the wrath-filled being who would end us for a misstep doesn't exist, is in fact an imaginary being made from the expectations we want to have God in but not who God in fact is. We find freedom in the ability to forgive our enemies, to love our neighbors, to pray for those who come against us, to be kind and gentle and peaceable and patient. There is freedom in knowing that nothing is bigger than the God who loves. Over and over, God says, I am love. I love you. You are my beloved. And when we finally believe it, when we finally embrace it, we find that the truth of what that love looks like, not only from God's side, but from our experiences and opportunities to give it away, is even bigger and more magnificent than we could have expected. We can read Hosea and the stories of the children of Israel and all their wanderings and unfaithfulness and shake our heads and cluck our tongues at how foolish they were. But the truth is we are all just as prone to wander, just as likely to be unfaithful. And as we follow Jesus, we begin to see that it is in our following that we can see our own foolish similarity to those who wandered so far. When we recognize our own limitations, when we let go of our need to be in control and our need to do our own thing, our need to rule ourselves, and we stop running. We stop 
going back to the faithlessness. Instead, we cling to the one who gave himself for us. And finally, we can hear God speak. We can hear God say, Welcome home. You are my beloved. That's what Gomer was waiting for. That's what Hosea drew her to. When they had children, they named their children according to prophetic names. But then at the end, God transforms those things into the opposite of what they were. He says, even though I've named these things as what they are, faithless, not loved, not my people, in reality, where it was said, you are not my people, I will say, I am your God. Children of the living God, you will be called. You will say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. God continues to draw us back. God continued to draw them back, even when they turned their back on him. He still called out after them. You are my beloved. You are my beloved. It's what we've been talking about every single time we talk about this series. I had a conversation this week with a pastor, and he was like, hmm, I don't think the Bible is a love letter from God. So, well, that's great. That's what I'm preaching. I'm saying it is. And I thought about it after he said that, and I kind of tried to see it from his perspective and understand how he could say that. And really what it comes down to is that I don't know how he can say that because every single page I read here is dripping with God's love for his people, with God's love for those he created. I wanted to send him our little uh, thing that we do every week, but I thought that might be a little... um, snarky maybe (laughs) because I can see it and maybe you can't either maybe you're thinking this is crazy we're talking about prophets and things that happened thousands of years ago and you're talking about how this is a love letter and and I mean maybe not in the strictest sense of a love letter is it a love letter but it is a love letter because it says everything there is to know about the God who is love and how the God who is love pursues us. So if you can't see that yet, maybe you will when we get to Revelation. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you that it's going to continue to be what I preach about the word because every single thing I read here, even if it's not literally things that happened, even if it's not 100% accurate in every single dimension it talks about and those kinds of things. It's still telling me about God because that's what this book is. It's not some sort of history book. It's instead a book about 
who God is and how God loves. And to me, that makes it a love letter because that's what your lover does when they send you a letter. This is who I am. This is how I love you. This is who God is. This is how God loves you. So again this week, we're going to go through our mantra. And if you don't believe it, maybe take this home with you and read it all week long. Read it every day. And think about each of the different parts where it talks about God loved us enough and then tells us what God did to show it. I think it's a perfect picture of a love letter because it's not just words. It's also action. It's also doing things to prove it. So, if you have your blue sheet, if you don't have a blue sheet, maybe I can get some helpers to pass out the blue sheets. Jaden, will you get some, maybe, and hand them out for me? <laughs> you know how to say it every week? Yeah. Okay. That's all right. Okay. That's all right. You guys get one. Make sure you guys both have one. Do you need one, dear? You need one, Billy. I already have one. He already has one. Yeah, he keeps it on the shelf back there. I've seen it. All right. What does it mean to say God loves? God loves us. To create us. To form us from the dust. To let us fail. To let us choose our own way over God's. To let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. To provide a rescue, a way back, through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. To show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. To show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up. And how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. To send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. To see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. To raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. To want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. To still let us choose our own destiny. To promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and final judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. And God's love is expressed to us every week most tangibly as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. 
So come, drink the wine, eat the bread. Know you are loved. God loves you. Go love the world with him.